This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Defense Department is planning to mandate vaccinations for active duty service members by mid-September. But what about the other components of the military? Federal News Network's Scott Massioni joins me now with new details on that part of the story. And Scott, let's begin with what is the status of the military members real briefly. That's definitely going to happen? Well, yes. At this point, we have the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying that by the latest of mid-September, he would like to have the vaccinations mandatory. Now, that'll either happen because the FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine for, for use and general use and not an emergency authorization use, or he will ask President Biden to sign off on using this emergency medical use for the military in mandatory vaccines. President Biden has already signaled that he will sign off on that. So it's a pretty much done deal that if you are active duty in the military, that's 1.4 million active duty members, you're going to be getting a shot in your arm unless you want some bad repercussions. Well, of course, the Army is allowed to roll up its sleeves, but the Marines are not. Or do I have that reversed? The Marines can, the Army can't. Things are changing these days, so you never know. Right. One way or another, they're going to all have to do it. I think Army policy changed a couple of years ago. All right. And what about the other components? What do we mean by that? I presume the civilian parts of defense. Not necessarily the civilian parts, but there's the National Guard and the Coast Guard. And you remember the Coast Guard is part of the Department of Homeland Security before that Department of Transportation. And if you want to go way back, the Treasury Department. But it is not necessarily part of the Defense Department. However, they do follow a lot of the same parts of the Defense Department and many of the same Miranda that the Defense Department does. So uh, what the Coast Guard has said is that they are ready to implement a mandatory vaccination for its personnel when authorized or directed by a higher authority. That's most likely going to come around the same time as the military, uh, if you read between the lines on that. Now, the Coast Guard has been pretty good uh, with their vaccination. They've fully vaccinated over 67% of their workforce, including 73.7% of all active duty personnel. Uh, and they, they hit that 70% mark uh, before July 4th, which was something they were particularly proud of. Now, for the National Guard, they are also postured to support any guidance that the Secretary of Support releases. So if the vaccine does become a requirement, it looks like they're going to also be following along with that as well. If you take all that together, it's about an extra half a million people that the Defense Department will be, or the Department of Homeland Security, if they decide to take that route, will be vaccinating. It brings it up to nearly two million extra people that'll be vaccinated. So good things for herd immunity, but also going to take some logistics to happen. Sure. And I guess you could say, too, that the people that are in the National Guard and Reserves often have jobs outside of the military, the regular day jobs that they do the other weeks of the year, the 50 weeks of the year. So they could be getting pressure to get a vaccine from those employers, too. So if you want to do both, it's probably a good idea to just go ahead and get that vaccine. And what about the mandate? How is DOD going to carry this out? What's the plan for execution on this? As you said, there's some logistics involved. The Defense Department's asking military services to come up with an implementation plan between now and the time that they decide to mandate these vaccinations. So at this point, they're just really trying to to put together how they're going to do it, the logistics, who's on deployment, who's not on deployment, who's going to get it first, who will get it second, all that sort of stuff in between. You know, and then when it comes to people that say they don't want to get it, well, that's a big issue for the Defense Department, and it's going to be a lawful order at that point. So some people could get in some serious trouble. We've seen some slight reticence within the military. About one third of them have been refusing to get 
the vaccine and deciding not to take it either because they don't trust the process or they don't like the way that it's been developed, different reasons for that. I will say that there have been no studies that have been conclusive that say that there's anything uh, wrong with the, the vaccine. It's been proven to be safe. So at this point, the Defense Department's really just trying to make this what they've called a big muscle movement happen for these two million people. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Massioni. Now, 30 percent that have resisted is a fairly large number. And so is DOD simply going to say, what? You have to have it. Does that mean they'll hold right. people down and stick the needle in their arms or what? Yeah. Well, when you go to boot camp, I believe there's about eight different vaccines that you need to get. But the Defense Department will make this a lawful order. So it will be something that they'll either be court-martialed for or some sort of disciplinary measure. Now, the Defense Department hasn't decided to uh, speculate on what might happen. They're hoping that people are going to go ahead and get the vaccine voluntarily, let alone involuntarily. Uh, so, you know, they're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Now, there have been some restrictions that the military services have created to maybe get people to move a little bit faster on getting their vaccines. The Coast Guard has said that uh, if you're taking leave or have to go somewhere for work and you're unvaccinated, well, you're going to need to get approval for that because you may be hurting other people or you know causing some the virus to spread. Also at Fort Stewart in Georgia, the commanding officer there has said that uh, if you want to eat in the commissary, you need to be vaccinated. If you want to as well go on leave, things like that, you also need to be vaccinated. That's a pretty big deal. But also, if you think about it, these commissaries have a lot of people in there and, you know, it's an easily spreadable environment. So you can have your bag lunch and your cigarette 50 feet from the building, in other words. <laughs> That's right. Or you have to go home or eat in your car or something like that. All right. And as far as the civilian workforce, which I mentioned erroneously, they would be then presumably under the mandate for similar to federal employees in the civilian side. The White House order from a couple of weeks ago that you have to have the vaccine or get regular testing. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we've just heard that HHS, their 25,000 employees are going to be mandated to get the vaccine. Uh, you know, so it, it's looking like if you're working for the federal government at this point, it's time to uh, get that shot. Yeah, you don't come to the vaccine. It's coming for you. And has there been any discussion of kind of a third part of the population, which I write about in today's federal report column, and that is people who have been infected with COVID have recovered and are therefore immune. And there are studies showing that the vaccine doesn't do them any good, maybe no harm, but there's no reason to force them to vaccinate. Right. There hasn't been any sort of guidance uh, regarding that. Uh, you know, we have seen that there's been antibodies in some of these people who have gotten the vaccine before. But I think the Defense Department, especially with the military, they love their bureaucracy. They definitely would want to have some piece of paper or electronics saying that you've gotten this and you can just check off that box. So I would say the the shot is probably the best bet for those people as well. Federal News Network, Scott Massioni. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, 
Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. 
you're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.